I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan. One that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello and welcome to what we are calling a wooden Christmas. The next three episodes will be focused on the master teacher and perhaps the greatest coach of all time, UCLA basketball legend John Wooden. In this and the next episode on December 26, Coach Wooden's grandson-in-law and author of Wooden's Wisdom, Craig Impleman, will be our guest. Rounding out the Wooden Trilogy will be an interview on January 2nd with the founder of the John R. Wooden course, Lynn Gary. Lynn spent the last dozen years of Coach Wooden's life crafting the renowned John R. Wooden program. When I was young, one of the earliest memories of sports was the great UCLA basketball teams. I was born the same year the Bruins won their first title in 1964, and by the time I was in sixth grade in 1975, the Bruins had won 10 NCAA titles. Yes, 10 out of 12 years they won it all. That accomplishment is nothing short of astounding. I was into basketball at a young age. The first UCLA teams I remember were just after Luel Sender, before he was called Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, had graduated and the Bruins, now without the player that some argue as the greatest basketball player ever, still won two more titles in 1970 and in 1971. They had that devastating Wicks and Rowe combo at the forward spots. The Thursday night games would play late on KTLA, Channel 5 in Los Angeles. In those Saturday games, I would plan my whole day around. The great sportscaster Dick Emberg was the play-by-play man. Bebby from the corner. Oh, my. I couldn't wait to get out to the backyard hoop after the game and just start shooting, pretending I was playing for Coach Wooden. Yep, to me, that was the goal. Play for that coach that always seemed to have the plan, the guy that always won. It would take time for me to learn enough about Coach Wooden to realize that he was much more than a coach that won a lot. But when you're a kid and the big redhead Bill Walton is on the team and the Bruins don't lose for 88 straight games, Coach Wooden is a coach that won an awful lot. What I also didn't know was that Coach Wooden was a player that won a lot too. Born in 1910 in the basketball crazy state of Indiana, John Wooden was as big of a basketball star as they come. He was three times named All-State and led Martinsville High School to the Indiana High School Championship in 1927. He was a three-time All-American at Purdue University for Coach Piggy Lambert. In 1932, the year the 31st President of the United States, Herbert Clark Hoover, was in office, Purdue was voted the national champions, and John Wooden was voted the College Player of the Year. John Wooden will tell you that much more important things happened to him in Indiana than winning championships and accolades. Growing up on a farm, he learned the value of hard work from his parents. And like most boys in Indiana, he learned to play basketball, along with his three brothers, on the hoop that was affixed to their barn. Important lessons from his father came in many ways. Among them, something Joshua Wooden called two sets of three. Never lie, never cheat, never steal. Don't whine, don't complain, don't make excuses. When the family faced tough times in Centerton, Indiana, they certainly didn't whine. They picked up and moved to Martinsville. 
It was there on a warm summer night at the school carnival in 1925 that a 15-year-old John Wooden met the only girl he would ever go with, the love of his life, Nell. John graduated in 1932 from Purdue with a degree in English. He and Nellie were married that August in Indianapolis, attending a Mills Brother concert at the Circle Theater that evening. They would enjoy over 50 years of marriage, a son and a daughter, and among their seven grandchildren is Christy, who married our guest today, Craig Impleman. Coach Imp, if you will, is an accomplished coach in his own right, a motivational speaker, a proud husband and father who serves as the author of Wooden's Wisdom e-coaching newsletter. As you will hear and hopefully see on YouTube, Imp has not only brought with him some of the most treasured archives in basketball history, but he has also brought a cornerstone of Coach Wooden's seminal work, The Pyramid of Success, which is his infectious enthusiasm. So, now that I've dropped Lou Alcender, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Sidney Wicks, Curtis Rowe, Dick Emberg, Henry Bibby, the big redhead, Piggy Lambert, the great humanitarian, Joshua Wooden, Nell Wooden, Christy Implement, and the Mills Brothers, oh my, I am proud to bring you from the 7428 studio, the one and only Craig Implement. All right. Welcome. Great to be here. It's awesome that you came. I'm, I'm stoked, and I can't believe these archives that you brought here. The challenge is going to be getting me to leave. So. Oh, that's okay. We got, we got, hopefully we got plenty of battery. Um, you know, I met my daughter. She's on, she's on the camera, so if it runs out, we'll know. And you know the Stanford kid. He'll do okay with the audio. Stanford genius. Yeah. <laughs> so um, tell me, I, you said you might bring some archives. And I, I don't want to go without acknowledging these first. Then, then I got a couple questions for you. But this one right here. Oh, this is a funny story. Okay, so I, I married John Wooden's granddaughter. We've been married for 35 years. And uh, as a result of that, we got carted along to a lot of different events. And so in Las Vegas, I forget the year, but uh, 19 – oh, I should know, 1999 uh, – they had the Victor Awards in Vegas for sports, which is kind of like a Oscars for yeah. sports. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a, a basketball coach of the century, which was awarded to John Wooden. So my wife, Christy, and I were with uh, Papa, coach, I refer to him as Papa, with Papa, and we're sitting there, and it was a great event. I mean, all these famous people were there, and they're getting sure. introduced, and they're getting their awards. And so then a big moment comes, and they uh, – they have coach comes up and he gets this ward right here. And, uh, of course, standing ovation, John Wooden as always. And so I'm sitting here, and my wife Christy is sitting here, and Papa's sitting here. So he walks back down, and he sits down next to Christy, and he's holding this, and he kind of waits until things have calmed down, and he reaches over and he goes, Honey, you take this and keep it and take it home. I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> and like, so, hey, yeah, it's just coach of the century. You this, have this one. This was it. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how we ended up. Uh, that's how we ended up with this. So oh. if you were, oh, if we man. were talking about John Wooden, yep, uh, he had zero interest in trophies and toys and accolades and just because he just wasn't what he was yeah interested in you know he often said that the one thing he liked the 
really was the proudest of was the medal he got for being a, a All-American student mm-hmm. at at Purdue. That's been that's been widely said over and over again. The other thing about John Wooden, we talk about being unique, and I just related this last night to uh, my sixth grade basketball team. Uh, I never heard him say anything good about himself. Mm. I mean, you can imagine all these conversations we've had over the years. And sure. Spoke at my basketball camps for 30 years. And you would think somewhere along the line he would tell a story about a game that he did a good job in or a strategy that right. he used. or But never, ever. Yeah. He just didn't and do not, that. Not, I mean, I'm lo- and I'm looking for it. I mean, I'm trying to. I'm trying to now. Because <laughs> you would have liked it. You would have z- z- give him a little zinger. I just wanted to hear him say something, <laughs> right? And there was only one exception. Uh, for all you basketball coaches out there, there was only one exception. Uh, and the reason it came up is because I introduced this drill last night to my sixth grade basketball team. Okay. It was a conditioning drill called the three-on-two conditioner. Mm-hmm. And it was a fast-break drill that Coach invented that he ran every practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, because he believed in conditioning while teaching fundamentals, not just conditioning to be running. And uh, he was talking about the three-on-two conditioner, and he said, that's, that's the best basketball drill I ever invented. Yeah. That's the only thing he ever said good about himself. So that's why I'm always trying to be insistent with that's- the coaches that I talk to. You got to run the three two conditioner. Uh, of course. Um, I mean, you know what makes this this interview great is like I mean, we just haven't even got started, and it's um, I've coached you know a number of teams, and I've coached directly from what John Wooden put in his modern practical basketball, and um, including that three on two drill, and it just it hit me that like that's 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 it. Like I'm not the only one. There's thousands of us coaches that coached exactly from the Wooden book, and it's so fun to hear like these authentic stories about Coach Wood. Well, and, and here's, you know. a, here's an interesting thing. And I have to say that I fell miserably short in this regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was uh, on the staff at UCLA with all the coaches that came right after John Wood. Yep. So I was a graduate assistant with uh, Gene Bartow his second year and then I was there with Gary Cunningham. And then I went over to uh, Pepperdine. And then I came back to UCLA for three more years with, uh, with Larry Farmer. And, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we had a system that Coach had used. So it was kind of hard to convince us to it, it, deviate. It, it seemed like it had a little success. From, from, that, from that system. <laughs> but I was reading uh, – Pat Williams wrote a book about the uh, – John Wooden basketball camps, and one of the coaches at the camp said every year we would try to go act, be like John Wooden and run all his stuff, and every year he told us to quit doing it and to just, if there's something we like, great, but go do your thing. Be your, your own you know, coach. Your own, and I think a coach that really uh, did a pretty great job on that, there's many, mm-hmm. to say the least, but, uh, you know, Denny Crum at Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, had been John Wooden's assistant and went straight to Louisville. And he incorporated a lot of the same principles, but he really made them his own. Mm-hmm. And which, if you go back to Coach Wooden's seven-point creed from his dad, the number one thing is uh, be true, be to, true yourself. to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I was going to 
wind the clock back, I would probably try to be a little bit more innovative within the wooden framework as a foundation. I'm gonna I'm gonna wind it back on you. I want to get these other archives though recognized. This that's Craig, a great one is 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 driving me crazy how cool it is. So this is the 1968 championship game ball. So this would have been the third title with Lou Alcindor. Correct. And the fifth overall. Correct. And um, signed by everybody on that team. A 78-55 route of the, the Tar Heels in the finals. And, and what was it? Now, there's a great innovation story here. What was the score of that semifinal game against Houston? It's on there. It is you on there. You can here. see it, Um it's in it dark. Is, it was a lot too a little. NCAAs, I know they were, here it is. Houston, 101 69. So, 101 69. So, speaking of innovation, interesting. Uh, most people, sports fans, are familiar with that was the year that Houston beat UCLA by two points in, in a regular season game. In a regular season game at the Astrodome, which, which was 70, trans, transformative. In the history the of uh, collegiate basketball athletics on Every, national TV, because they had um, that that hookup that they would also use for the big like heavyweight championship fights. It was yeah. like satellite or something along yeah. these lines. Yeah. And you could go to your you could go to a movie theater and you might see that game. Right. But you might also get it via some of the television broadcasting groups. Like out here in Los Angeles, it probably would have been like KTLA or something that could access that signal, something along these lines. Well, the story, the story, the interesting story about innovating. Yeah. Very unusual. Uh, you know, Coach Wooden was very famous for not spending time on the other team, on being very consistent. You were going to get what you got. Mm -hmm. You're going to see a full court two two one zone press. Mm -hmm. You're going to see the uh, low post, high post offense, whatever, whichever, depending on the team. And you're going to see man-to-man -man defense. And you're going to see that You're going to see it. 99 out of 100 times. And uh, so they had played Houston and lost by two. And, you know, some people bemoan the fact that Kareem had a uh, scratch cornea. But anyway, mm -hmm. coach, being coach, being innovative, in that game, he went completely away from – his normal game plan, and he ran a in the diamond. semifinal game or in the in the semifinal in game. the semifinal game. Uh -huh. He lost playing his regular man-to-man -man defense, uh -huh. and in a surprise move, the one time oh, he really? went off the rails, <laughs> Coach Wooden came out in a diamond and one oh, wow. defense. So he had four players in a diamond-shaped sure. zone with Kareem underneath the underneath. basket. And then I'm going to get the player wrong. I want to say Shackelford. Mm -hmm. I may be wrong. Chased Elvin Hayes all over Denying the, the entry pass. And and Hayes had a horrible uh, – he just chased him. That and is so, something else. Out of nowhere, John Wooden junks the man-to-man -man and goes, goes diamond wow, and one. Wow, you don't hear that often. No. Wow. Now, the other great innovation story uh, from, a, from a coaching perspective was the – Jacksonville game. That so, was against uh, Artis Gilmore. Gilmore. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and UCLA's tallest player was a fellow who was – now, if you're running a business and you're going, oh, come on, Lennon, why am I watching this? Okay, the message is listen to your team members. They know better than you what's going on. So quit giving them memos and find out what's happening and let them tell you. Okay. Toyota's been doing it for a long time and it works pretty well. Yeah. So back to Coach Wooden and listening to your team members. So – 
they're playing. And, and and then for those who don't know, Artis Gilmore was what seven, seven four? foot two, seven foot two. I mean, he was a big guy. Artis Gilmore seven foot two. Sidney Wicks is six point nine. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville very dominant team. And, right, and I'm sorry, Craig, but this was in between Walton and and Alcender, yes. right? Yes. I mean, in between Alcender and Walton, rather. Yep. It was coach, in between year. Coach where, calls it. I, coach or, called him the team without. That's right. And he really enjoyed them because they said that after. Kareem graduated. Mm-hmm. Here it comes. Many thought well, he'll get his comeuppance now, uh-huh. and that didn't quite work out since they won two more <laughs> championships in a row. That's right. But anyway, so they're playing the game, and uh, Artis Gilmore starts at the game on fire. Uh-huh. He scores a bucket. He scores a bucket. He scores a bucket, and uh, so there's a timeout. Now, in basketball, when you're playing against a big guy, conventional wisdom says that you get around to the side. And you don't let him get the ball. You right. make him move out, and then you jump behind so he gets the ball further away from the basket. Sidney Wicks says to Coach Wooden at the timeout, Coach, let me play behind him. Oh, right. Let me let him get the ball. Which, yeah. if you're about, you'd be like, if you're a normal coach, you'd be going, I don't think so. Okay? But Coach being Coach said, okay, Sidney, that's fine. Give it a shot. So Sydney went back out. Now, there's another business lesson here, <laughs> and that is don't make your decision based on the result, the immediate short-term result. Make your decision on how it looks. Hmm. So they came out of the timeout, and Gilmore got the ball, and Sidney Wicks proceeded, and it's two or three, I don't know what the number is, but it was at least two, to goaltend Gilmore's next two mm-hmm. shots, mm-hmm. maybe three. So Jacksonville actually scored with this new strategy. But what did Coach Wooden like? He liked the aggressiveness. He liked the way it looked. Mm. He liked the way it looked. Interesting. So he stuck with it. Gilmore went 7 for 19, uh-huh. the worst game of his career, and UCLA went on to win another national championship. Another great Wooden story, <laughs> since we're doing John Wooden, sure. along the same lines, a fantastic story. Uh, Coach Wooden is very famous for the 2-2-1 zone press. Right, full court press. And full court press, and everybody always rattles around that, hey, you know, we got the press going, and that's what started the string with the championships with Hazard and Goodrich and, and whatnot. But the story that's left out is the year before UCLA won their first national championship, Coach Wooden actually had the worst record of any of any of the other coaches in the tournament in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And I've, I, I've, I've detailed it, but he had not had success in the NCAA tournament. But in 1962, yeah, that's right. He had gone to, he lost to Cincinnati in the semifinals, mm-hmm. and he went, wow. Maybe we can do this. And so he kind of retooled everything. And one of the things that he retooled was he added the full-court press. So it, now in 63, before he wins it, oh, right. he's okay. got the press. And he's using the press. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be a success if you're going to stick with it, right? Sure. Book of the Month Club, all these businesses try new techniques. If it doesn't <laughs> work in two months, we got to try something we're, new. We're out. Well, that's not John Wooden. So – UCLA plays Arizona State in, in the NCAA or tournament. Four. Second round. 64. Year before the championship. 63. And get blown out using the press. 
I mean, they got beat. They were down 30 in the first half. They got beat 20. Mm. Arizona State couldn't miss a shot. But guess what? Coach Wooden liked the look. The way he liked the way it looked. Mm-hmm. Because he said that Arizona State would have beaten anybody that day because they were shooting the ball so well. But he liked the way that the press got the tempo sped up. Mm-hmm. which was to his liking. So in spite of getting blown out in the NC2A tournament, using his press, he thought it was a good idea. Wow. You know, and he came back the next year with it, and what do they say? There's 10 of these balls? Yeah, there's 10. Well, he's got 10 championships, 10, 10 and 12. Championship, there's 10 balls. So the rest is history. Uh, the rest is history. He, that 62, was that Oscar Robinson? No. No? Uh, Cincinnati, never got, Cincinnati never got to the semis. With, uh, with, with Oscar, o. they actually, and there's a great story. I, oh man, there's some. This, this is life application, okay? Okay. So, Wooden's playing. Coach Wooden is playing against Cincinnati in the semifinals. Now, I'm not talking out of school mm-hmm. because Coach Wooden has written about this himself. So, okay, Fair don't want to get anybody upset. One of his books, he's written about it multiple times. Coach Wooden did not think in his mind. At the time, they were playing in the men's gym, was where they practiced, the little gym on the campus. Mm -hmm. They did not have a home court. That's right. At UCLA. They had to go around the Olympic Auditorium. Shrine Auditorium. They had to go different places. Venice High School. Right. And they also had very restrictive admission Stanford uh, standards, like Stanford (laughs) does now. So there were certain players that wanted to come to UCLA that were good students that he couldn't get in the school. And he thought in his own mind, with those two things going on, he didn't see how he could ever win a national championship. Mm-hmm. And he didn't talk about it publicly, but he was a bit, according to him, bemoaning to himself privately about it. Well, to his surprise, they end up in the Final Four. Right. In 62, 62. against Cincinnati. Uh, and he had taken the job in like 48, so this is uh, like yeah. 14 years later. A long time later. So the starters were Walt Hazard, Johnny Green, mm-hmm. uh, Pete Blackman, later I believe the vice chancellor at UCLA, oh, wow. Gary Cunningham, later the coach, mm-hmm. Fred Slaughter, later the dean of the law school at UCLA. Pretty smart group of guys. Yeah. And so they're playing Cincinnati, and it gets down to a minute and change to go. There's no shot clock, and UCLA has the ball. And they're holding for the last shot. Mm-hmm. They're in good shape. Hazard has the ball right in front of the UCLA bench. And the guy guarding Hazard's about four or five feet off of him because he doesn't want to get beat. Right. And Hazard gives a fake. And the guy gets so shook up, he stumbles and he falls down, even though he's this far away. The referee in the opposite corner called an offensive foul. Oh, my goodness. Cincinnati got the ball, ran the clock. made a half court shot oh my at the buzzard to win the I game. Didn't, I, I don't, I didn't remember all and that. And Coach wow. Wooden never complained about the call, Mm-mm. and his the official came to him after the game and apologized. Coach said, "No need, you were doing what the best you could." <laughs> and then you know, famously, he got in the locker room and he told the players, "We got each other, and you guys did a great job." Jeez, and that was it. But then on that plane ride back home after that game, that's when he 
said to himself, you know what? Maybe we can get this done, even with playing in the men's gym. I see. So then he went through everything that he did. I mean, Denny, everything that he did. This guy's attention to detail and planning is is unparalleled. It, it, it is unparalleled, yes. And so he made a lot of changes. Uh, the most substantive, I guess, off the top of my head would be that he stopped adding new content for the tournament. Uh-huh. Obviously, this became an exception, but he didn't add any oh, new plays. Yeah. Uh, he started winding down the length of practice as the season towards the end got the towards the end, down to an hour and 15, hour and 30 minutes, as opposed to two and a half hours. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's when he decided to play seven instead of play ten, but I, I might be wrong about that. But So he made all these little subtle changes, and then he made all these great changes and got blown out by Arizona State. But he liked the way it looked. The look. And he said, I might have something here. I, li- I might have something here. And he stuck with it. Wow. And that's the birth of the system. This is, this is you know? awesome. And, this I mean, is this awesome. is such a great lesson today with technology, media, Instagram, which is fantastic, Twitter, fantastic, Facebook, fantastic. Just don't get caught up. Use it as a resource. Mm-hmm. How would John Wooden use it? He would be looking at Instagram. He would have, oh, that's a pretty good idea. Let me think about that. Yeah. So, and then he would try it. So he had a scientific method for improving that he employed every season okay. until the final year, including the final year that he coached. And, and, and didn't he follow the same prescription almost every preseason? Every season. He, the well, only time he would look ahead in the schedule was before the season started, and he would he would write his prediction on how they would do, and he'd put it away. He put the paper in a drawer. And he the, wouldn't let anybody and see would, it. But what I, the, the, yeah. thing, the ritual that he had that was so empowering was after every season, imagine, after every season he would sit down and he would pick a topic. So you're John Wooden. You've been coached. you got nine national championships. <laughs> it's 1974. Uh-huh. He's doing the same thing. He picks out a topic that he wants to study wow. and improve on. So he starts out getting every publication he can get his hands on, let's say it's free throw shooting, to read about it. Then he looks up and he finds high school, college pros, the best free throw shooting teams in the country. He phones those coaches and he says, hey, I want to improve my team's free throw shooting. You're at Bonoble Junior College, and John Wooden's on the phone for you. Would you mind if I sent you a questionnaire? That is crazy. So then he would send out a questionnaire to these coaches. I forget the number. Let's say it's 15. And he would get the questionnaire back. Now, this is before Excel. Sure. Computers. He gets all the data back. He's a data guy, He's man. an engineer. And he takes all the data, and he puts it, in his own words, in a spreadsheet before there were spreadsheets. Uh-huh. And he eliminates the outliers. Well, this guy shot 90%, but they practice free throws two hours every practice. So that's mm-hmm. not – and then based on all that, he looks at the data, and then he makes changes to tweak how he's going to and- practice wow. free throws. So if we were going to stay, stick on the topic of free throws. Sure. 
for example, what what exactly did he change? Well, if you were a player at UCLA, mm-hmm. by the time the season started, we would scrimmage, control scrimmage every day. Uh, excuse me. On Thursdays, maybe half an hour, about every day. Don't hold my feet to the fire. But so you'd have seven guys that were on the in the first group. Right. You have seven guys in the second group. Okay. So let's pretend, Denny, that you're a guard. Mm-hmm. So there's three guards. Two are in, one's out. Okay? Sure. So coach would say, okay, Denny, While you're you out. go make you go make five free throws or ten, whatever he thought your capacity was. Mm-hmm. And if it was a good capacity, he might say ten in a row, depending on who you were, right? Denny, you go make ten free throws in a row, and when you're done, you go get Bibby out of the scrimmage. Now, here's the key points. Okay, first of all, he did it while their cardio was up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't too long. Mm-hmm. And here's the best point for you micromanagers out there. And I'm sorry for being sarcastic. Coach Wood would never be sarcastic. So, I take it all back. It's okay. I take all it right. all back. I'm sorry, Coach. He it's, did, it's okay. He did not say, Denny, come and see me when you make 10 free throws. Go and get him. Just go get him. Mm-hmm. So the process never stopped. And it empowered. And he'd go get Henry. Henry Bibby'd go out. He'd go make his free throws. He'd make his free throws. He'd go in. He'd get Valley. Coach was not involved in all this hocus pocus, right? I I love The players are doing it. So think about the tempo. I got my Stanford guy here. Think about the (laughs) tempo practice, right, in the rhythm, in the beauty, and it's boom, 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 and it's it's just, ah. Oh, boy. It was was, was gold, gold. It's it's this guy. it's it, you know I, I've studied coaches and so if he, I don't know how what Bill Belichick does in practice, but if you were going to say what did Belichick and Wooden have in common, I could tell you one of the things is they say that Belichick walks into a meeting and says, "Here's six things we need to do to win the game this week." Okay, that's all he does. He gets six things. Now narrows the focus. He arrived at those six things after going through mountain of data. A thousand things. Mm-hmm. I just exaggerated. Sorry, Coach. Hundreds of things, <laughs> right? And Coach Wooden had all these details and all this data. But Denny, if you were Buddy. a player, he would just present it to you simply like, like this: what you were going to get repetition on. And and from that, as an athlete on a team, comes the confidence because you can master what what the coach has given you. And when you master that and you repeat it over and over again, you get that confidence that allows you to do it in competition. We So it's a good time to talk about this. Well, let's move on to the next archive from the great Piggy so Lambert. So I told Denny, I never, I'm not allowed to take this book out of the house. <laughs> I'm also not allowed to take this basketball out of the house. But this so, is a special occasion, Craig. I love Denny. Yes. I, I've only known this guy for a month, and I'm signing my text. Love him. <laughs> That's I right. Do love yeah, him. You did. How could yeah. you not love Denny Lennon? Come on. Ah, oh, this is good. I feel, I feel like coaches tell him this. He's got that enthusiasm block. Man, it's like blowing up. <laughs> Double caps. So, okay. So, we're, we're talking about confidence. Yes. That's our topic. Right now. Competency. John Wood, confidence. Developing confidence. confidence. Yes. That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I'll take the long route since I'm big time ADD. Okay. Coach, wrote, Coach Wood wrote a book called Practical Modern Basketball. He wrote 14 books, 12 after he turned 90. Check that out. Go from there. And, and this this is, is the only book that he wrote. He wrote this early on after he won the championship, I believe. 
but it's the only book that he wrote by himself. So if you are out there and you're running a business and you want to know how to run a business, you want to know how to get started, buy this book. The first two chapters is a roadmap for how to run a business. The appendix has the handouts that you need. Enough said. This book was a result of Coach Wooden's coach, Piggy Lambert, mm-hmm. Hall of Famer, back in 34, wrote a book. Here's one I'm not allowed to take out of the house. <laughs> called Practical Basketball. Mm-hmm. And this is actually... It's, it's unbelievable. Let me this show this to the camera. Piggy Lambert's copy. i got to be careful here. Go ahead. Be careful with that, Coach. I will. That he gives to John Wooden. And Denny, what does it, it say says on to, there? To Johnny... <laughs> I love it. Uh, my appreciation of all you have done for me. Sincerely, Ward. Ward. So let's talk about this book and let's talk about confidence. And then we're going to get to the confidence and we're going to get to the definition of success and how it all fits together. So how did Coach Wooden get to be so smart? He wasn't watching the Kardashians do Vegas <laughs> at night. Okay. <laughs> He was reading. Yes, he was. He was reading. Yes. Okay. And he was annotating. I have a, a one thing I didn't bring, which I could never take out of the house. Uh, uh, Idols of the Kings, his copy of that, which is written and underlined and would be great for teaching. But anyway, here's the book that Lambert wrote, Coach Lambert wrote. And you can see if you look at the camera that it's annotated. Yep. It's, and I'm going to have Denny read – Right here, two of the greatest – go ahead, Denny. Uh, Two of the greatest fundamental assets to the athlete in all branches of sport are being relaxed and having what is called balance. Stop right there. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. confidence. Confidence, okay? Piggy was huge on the players being relaxed, and he knew if one of his players was worried about something off the court, on the court – he wanted to remove all worry. Mm-hmm. Much is made about John Wooden never talking about winning. Did he like to win? He loved to win. <laughs> he loved to win. Would he try to win every game he played against you? Of course. Yes, he would. He just thought talking about it would not make his players more what? More relaxed. relaxed. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend of mine, Paul Hoover, did a great study on uh, shooting. And he had a real system for shooting except for free throws. And he said, I said, well, Paul, tell me about free throws. And I thought he was going to give me an exact system. He goes, there's too many systems. The only thing I can tell you about free throws is that great free, bad free throw shooters, when they're at the line, their shoulders are tense. Mm-hmm. And good free throw shooters, their shoulders are loose. So we're back to being relaxed. Being relaxed. You know what I, what I find interesting about this, Craig, is um, relax and balance, right? And coach, well, one you of the, can't one of the be. Things... Re- I interrupt you because I'm not John Wooden. In case you didn't notice, I, so <laughs> you can't be balanced if you're, if you're not. If you're not relaxed, relax. So the coaches, if we're, if we're doing a jump stop and we stop, we're practicing being off what? Off balance. Off balance. Yeah. We got to stay loose, baby. But you it, stop <laughs> loose. The joints are always loose. Yeah. You got to loosen up, man. <laughs> you got to stay loose. My favorite guest I ever. I tell guys when they apply award. for a job, I, I take them and I go, "Come on, baby." I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, you one of these stay, trophies you before you leave loose. today as best guest so ever. So now, if we go all the way here to, so, so wait, hold on, Craig. I gotta tell you something. Yep. 
I just I just found it interesting. Coach learned so much from those who were um, in in that, that were he looked up to, like his father, his parents, and like Coach Lambert. Coach always said the two most important words in the English language are love and balance. Absolutely. And 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 look at what Piggy's writing about here, which is the, to be successful, to be confident, is being relaxed and balanced. Yep. And I really find it interesting how Coach clued in on that idea of balance. And then, and then married it to the idea of love. I mean, somehow we're all still talking about coaches' teachings. He's not just another coach. He I coach is this sixth master grade. If you, teacher. If you talk He's to any team I ever teacher. coached, if you go, you go get my, you go get my third grade basketball team right now, mm-hmm. and you get my sixth grade basketball, and you line them up, and ask them what the most important words in dictionary are. And they might not know any drills. They might get beat by 50. <laughs> They're going to tell you love and balance. Mm-hmm. This is kind of all you need to know. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if, if we go to the now we're on the definition of competitive greatness and we see be at your best when your best is mm-hmm. needed, enjoyment of a difficult challenge, mm-hmm. and we got confidence, which is a result of all these other okay. things, it's about being on balance. In order to be on balance, you have to be in a relaxed Mm-hmm. In a relaxed state, unreal. And I mean, I, I just anyway. I got to ask you some questions. Not anyway. Where did you grow up? San Francisco. Is that right? So you came under the uh, spell of Pete Newell growing up, of the, no. the great coach. Who'd you come? Who'd no, I'm a, who'd I, you I, look I'm up a total, to? I'm a, I'm the I'm like the all time sweat hog <laughs> story of undeserving guys. Okay. My my story and how I ended up marrying John Wood's granddaughter. It's almost worth telling. What, what, what did your what, what, you were born? So, you were born I, in San Francisco. So, I grew up in San Francisco, and I grew yep. up playing basketball at St. Mary's Park, and I went, which was all me and the is brothers. That, that and I talked a ton of smack, and I went between my legs as much as possible, <laughs> and it was about you and your relatives, and that's how I played. Okay, and if I could throw a behind the back pass, that's what I was going to do. Okay, whenever available. Sure. Now. Who was your influences? Who did you look up to? St. Mary's Park. Billy Reed, man. Billy Reed. Love it. Who else? St. Mary's Park. What about Bill Russell? I didn't have anybody. No. St. Mary's Park. That was your thing. St. Mary's Park, man. Okay. Three on three. We don't clear it. Right? I had to give up a quarter to get in the gym. (laughs) The guys be waiting outside. Come here. Give me a quarter. Because it cost a quarter, 12 cents for a soda. Two guys waiting to hold me up every night. Okay. So I bought a quarter. Here's your quarter. And I go in the gym. That was it. So anyway, so. Okay. So now I go to your famous. Northern California version of yeah. uh, San Francisco, uh, St. Ignatius High School. Sure. Jesuits. And I'm a total misfit. Mm. So I go out for the freshman basketball team, actually the, the kind of the JV team, and I make it. But I'm smack-talking, bad attitude, pretty skilled. And the older guys in the team are beating me up in the locker room after practice, in case you guys think bullying just started. <laughs> Because I was starting, so I stopped going to practice. Uh, so my high school coach assumed that I had a bad attitude and that I didn't like basketball. So he cut me, but I never told my parents I got cut. Mm. So I just kept going to St. Mary's Park. So you're Park. going to St. Mary's Park. That, right? Mm-hmm. So now Basketball's fast, in your blood. Fast you're going to right? So now I'm growing up in the city, and I'm only watching one team on TV, baby. And uh, it's UCLA. Okay. John Wooden. Who else are you gonna watch? Well, they they're winning it, man. It's nineteen seventy, right? Thursdays and Saturdays. So, I only apply to one college, UCLA. What year? Uh, nineteen seventy, and I only apply for one reason. Well, 
I wanted to watch UCLA basketball games in person. Wait, so there was no so, other reason. So, there was so, so, no so other you, reason. You, you didn't play in high school. You didn't get to play on the team. Past I never got cut. Year? I got cut my sophomore junior Your senior sophomore year. Sophomore junior year. So you Slut never off. got a chance to cut. play after that. Oh, never man. Got, well, don't go so fast. So I go now. I go down to UCLA Sweathog Deluxe, right? <laughs> and uh, so. You get in on Henry, I get in the gym at night. Henry Bibby beats Henry me every Bibby. night, one on one, twenty six to zero. How did you meet him? He was down playing at night every night because that's what those guys did. Sure. The, the, when the other guys were out doing stuff, he was in the gym, like okay. all the guys, right? Uh-huh. So I, I was a good rebounder for him. He could beat me twenty six to two, twenty six zero. We play ten games of one on one every night. Okay. Bibby tells me to try out for the freshman team. Yeah. So it's the Walton class. They got that. And and in those days, you had a freshman team. That and you, you, you're team. mandated to play on as a freshman. Right. Freshman class is the Walton class. Six scholarship guys. One preferred walk on their seven. Unbelievable story. So 65 wait, 70 guys. 70 is, is Walton's freshman year too? Yeah. Walton's oh, team. son of a gun. 65 okay. guys try out. Uh-huh. All CIF, all everything. Sure. But, of course, they're not relaxed. Because <laughs> they got all the pressure from home. <laughs> they're all wor- I don't care. My parents don't even know I'm playing basketball. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just letting it loose. So, anyway, I ended up making it down to the final cut. Okay. There was four of us out of the 65 that stuck. A week before the season started, Coach Wooden uh, redshirted Marv Vitito and Tommy Curtis. So, at that point, I got cut. Maybe because I got in a fight with Walton in practice. I'm not sure. (laughs) But the head coach, Gary Cunningham, wasn't that wild about it. But I had – I love this. I did live in the dorms. Okay. With one of uh, uh, a, a fellow guy in the other dorm, a guy named Larry Farmer, who's my best friend, okay. was playing on the team at UCLA. Sure. Oh, that explains and that. My roommate had a snake, a garden snake. Pussy Galora was a snake. Okay. And I used to bring the snake down to the lobby and hold it up to people at night. So here comes Larry Farmer into the lobby, and I hold the <laughs> snake up at Larry Farmer. And, of course, who is this crazy guy? <laughs> Larry Farmer and I become best friends. Okay. Okay, uh, understood. After my junior year, so wait, I, no, 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 no. You 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 go too fast. You so your freshman year, do you start hanging around the basketball team? You go I into play games every day. We play at but night. Are you, man. are you going to games and you're just enjoying? Because this and is I'm the year. And I'm playing at night every night. Farmer. Isn't this Wicks in row? Uh, no, uh, but I'm playing against Farmer at night every night outside of Reber Hall because he goes to practice and he goes outside and plays at night. Okay. Any of you guys that think you need Nikes and sneakers and a place to play, Farmer's eighty nine and one, best record in the history of college basketball. But anyway. Moving quickly forward, oh, wow. I'm working 55 hours a week, going to school. What are you working as? Oh, God. Uh, Everything. Three, uh, liquor delivery, uh, janitor at the dorm, Olympus Burgers, which you know, uh, fry cook. And I, my brother gets me a tryout with St. Mary San Antonio, NAIA, Texas. They give me a scholarship. After your I sophomore could, year. I could ball a little bit. I transfer and I graduate from there. Okay. Fast forward. Gene Bartos. Gene Bartos. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How'd you do there? I was horrible. It was the worst mistake they ever made to give me a scholarship. But I got a scholarship, and I was a great practice player, and I made the team better. Okay. Good. Yeah. And I got a uniform. Sure. And I got to be on a team. No doubt. And and Coach Coach will tell you better than anybody the importance of every member on that team. Not everybody's the engine. And I I didn't get taken on the traveling team to the national championships, so I hitchhiked to Kansas City. They made national championships? I slept in a van in the the, uh, garage, and I sold tickets at Kemper Arena. I mean, excuse me, I, I sold programs at Kemper Arena so I could watch and cheer for my team. 
every day at the NAI National Tournament. NAI. But I had a hitchhike to get to Kepper. First day I get a ride from a guy. He says, what's your story? I tell him, it's Lenny Dawson. Lenny Dawson, the great so Kansas goes, City So he I'll pick you up every day. But anyway. So, well, you skip by this part where I think your enthusiasm well, anyway, and your so, uniqueness but anyway, makes these people so now going, going on go, to you. Going forward, so Gene Bartow's second year, they have no player. Gene Bartow follows Coach Wooden. Follow John Wooden. As, as, his, not, an easy, not an easy act to follow. His second That's year, like coming on after Sammy his Davis second Jr. year, they did not have a former player that wanted to be the part-time assistant coach. Okay. Nobody wanted it. So this is it like paid $135 77 $77. It paid $135 a month. Woo. Okay? Woo. I'm making twenty five grand a year in Fresno. No question. I drive down my Volkswagen. I quit my job. Barto hires me, and I become the part-time assistant for 135 bucks a month <laughs> at UCLA. I rent a room from Estelle Lizey, 80 bucks a month, 12, 12 cats, five dogs, no visitors, <laughs> wash dishes at the dorm. Wait, wait, wait. Get my meals for free. Okay, so this leads it. this leads the next year to Gary Cunningham, who cut me, hired me to coach the team that he cut me from. That right, the freshman team, the now the JV team, the now the JV team because he didn't. Oh, want the fa- same team. Okay, yeah. Oh, he hilarious. didn't want Farmer wasting time with the JV team, so he gave me the oh, team. Oh my goodness! So I hang around long enough. Now I'm coaching with Farmer. <laughs> John Wood's granddaughter is going to the games. We meet. And we get married. So it all started with the snake in the dorm. <laughs> yeah, it's going to say. <laughs> I held the snake in Larry and Farmer's face. And this is how you became John the man Woods who's, wife, who, who spread Wood's legacy. Beautiful. Wow. That is something else. That is something else. Okay. You answered. Uh, let me see. You probably want to you answered all my questions. Me, but oh, who knows? Both. Tell me a little bit more about Bartow. He, that's, oh, a, that's a tough position man. to get into, right? Oh, Coach Bartow, you know what? How, how, do you, how do you follow the coach? Coach Bartow, uh, you know, <laughs> You're killing one me. of the nice – I've never met a nicer human being. Okay. Let's, talk, let's talk about job interviews. Sure. So there's probably some young cats out there watching the podcast, right? Absolutely. So, hey, you want to know, what did you do with the job interview? How did you get the job? Mm-hmm. Because I, I had to drive down overnight. I slept in my car. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning, I went to the gym. I changed my clothes, my one pair of knit pants mm-hmm. and a shirt with a collar. And I went and met with Gene Bartow, mm-hmm. who's now going to interview me for the part-time assistant coaching job at UCLA. Did he know you when you were there before? No, he never knew he, me at all. He knew I was Larry Farmer's best friend. Okay. Farmer said, you should interview this guy. Mm-hmm. Okay? So here I am face-to-face with Gene Bartow for the big interview. What do I say? I say, Coach Barto, before you start, I got to tell you one thing. If you told me right now, Coach, to go over to the student union and get you a turkey sandwich with mayonnaise, I would sprint. And I would get you a turkey sandwich with mayonnaise, and I would sprint back. And if I gave you that turkey sandwich, Coach, and you opened it up and you looked at it and you said, Implement, I wanted mustard, not mayonnaise, I would say, Yes, Coach. I wouldn't tell you that you ordered mayonnaise. I would just sprint back over and come back, and I'd give you the turkey sandwich with mustard and say, here's the sandwich you wanted, Coach. Sorry for the mistake. Gene Bartow started laughing, and he said, you're hired. We don't need an interview. You are my favorite guy ever. This is hilarious. That's the job interview. That's it. All right. Be yourself. And, and, And a good man. Oh, the 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 nicest, so, 
person. Tell, tell me about that time. Did you know much about that time? How come it wasn't Denny Crumb? Shouldn't he have been the heir apparent? In your opinion, I, I, what I know, what I know, I've only read Heard or read, which okay. is totally unreliable. Okay, but what's what's been written is that Denny decided early on that he wasn't going to come back. I see to UCLA, and that JD Morgan really liked and wanted to have Gene Bartow. And was Cunningham too young? Coach Cunningham at that time did not want to get back into coaching. I see. Oh, because he was making good money real estate. Well, he was not what he wanted to do. He has a PhD in in education. Oh, okay. And he wanted to get in, into uh, administration. <laughs> uh, but I mean, we were so after we were, um, real, we were really. I mean, let me hey, how, tell me about your JV coaching experience. The great thing about the, the JV team was awesome. It was uh, uh, all walk-ons. And uh, anybody that that made the varsity that of of you know. That, oh, I could tell you one one note, <laughs> one story. I can tell you that would be, I guess, be entertaining. Uh, the non-entertaining story is that Larry Farmer told me when I took the team, he says, "Imp, you got to keep one Craig Impleman." <laughs> Meaning, yeah, the guy who there's going to be one guy. The guy is going to go get your turkey it's sandwich. Be experience, no, one guy to be experience <laughs> of his lifetime. You got to keep one guy. So I always kept one guy. That, but probably <laughs> my most eye-opening I know experience. That guy. From an athletic standpoint, yeah, and this is an entertaining story, was about Kenny Easley. <laughs> sure. So, those of you out there, if you're watching this show, you probably should know who Kenny Easley is. Oh, Hall of Fame free safety, yep. arguably the greatest player in the history of UCLA football. Arguably, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. Uh, four-time All-American, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He okay? was unbelievable. So, Kenny Easley comes to me uh, his freshman year. And he says that he wants to play on the JV basketball team. Okay. So I tell Coach Farmer, so he has to go talk to, obviously, he tells easily to go talk to Coach Donahue. And, of course, they say, no way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the that, football coach. You coach think we Tony, need yeah. a first-team All-American out with this sweat hog implement and this JV basketball team tearing his knee up? Right. Come on. Get serious. Well, Easley's kind of insistent about it. And – uh Kenny uh, tells Coach Donahue that he does better in school when he's playing on a team. Quite true. For a lot, uh, of, for a lot of athletes. Because his, his schedule is more regular. Yeah. So Coach Donahue says, okay, Kenny, well, I'll, uh, if you get good grades this year, next year you can do that. I'll let you go play on the, uh-huh. on the JV team. Uh, and so, so it's the so- next year – True to his word, Kenny came back. So football season gets done, mm-hmm. and Kenny comes out and joins us for practice. Now, keep in mind, I had been with the varsity. We had Marcus Johnson, Oof. who was Marcus Johnson. Forced we had, to we, be had, we had eight with. NBA guys on our team, and that's yeah. probably a low count. Marcus mm-hmm. Johnson, David Greenwood, Kiki Vandeway, Ray Elmwood, Brad Holland. I mean, oh, come yeah. on. But anyway, yep. so I, I saw some pretty good athletes. And, you know, Marcus was at the very extreme level. But we get out in the court the first day, and uh, Kenny's first practice. Now, the team's already going. I figure it's going to take him three or four weeks to learn our system and <laughs> and whatnot. So I decided to put Kenny at the back spot in the press. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he says, okay, coach. A la Kenny and, Washington. And then uh, I don't want to give him any instructions. I, I put him back there. And uh, the ball's on this side, and he's in the back all the way on the opposite side. And I don't, 
I'm getting ready to tell him, you know, Kenny, you got to yeah, you gotta move. move over a little bit, right? And, but he's just sitting there. So one of our guys takes and throws a good long pass. Danny, Kenny Easley, most startling athletic thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And you can't imagine it. Probably if you were around Kenny Easley, you could imagine it. Mm-hmm. He's in a stance. <laughs> like he's going to hit somebody. And he makes two defensive slides – and he explodes, and he goes from one side of the basketball court to the other sideline, and he goes up in the air, and he grabs the ball. And before he comes down, he throws a bullet pass the length of the court before he hits the ground to his teammate for a layup. And you're like, no, Uh, no, no, wow. (laughs) I blew the whistle, and I stopped practice. I said, guys, there's a new way the press is going to work. <laughs> because the press at that time, you know, you would shade this way, and this guy had to rotate back sure, a little bit. And, I know it. You know. So I said, guys, this is how this goes. Kenny, this is the half-court line. Anything that goes on back there, you got it. You got it. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, Kenny. You other guys, all four stay up until they get the ball across half-court. Kenny's in charge. <laughs> How'd that work? Oh, we were pretty good. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you another great – this is a great sportsmanship story, uh, a fantastic sportsmanship story. Uh, I was also coaching Jeff Myers. Jeff Myers was the little brother of David Myers. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And the brother of Annie Myers. Mm-hmm. Now, I had gone to school with David. Kathy Myers is my dear friend. She's the godmother of both of my boys. So, at any and, rate, and, I'm And Ann Myers – People, Myers, people should know because could be argued could be argued the greatest woman basketball player ever. Yeah, and actually had, had a contract with a in, men's in pro basketball yeah. team. So, 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 yes. so I'm, I'm, I'm coaching Jeff Myers. Well, the good news is that Jeff Myers is pretty good. Yeah, I mean he's pretty good. So he's starting. Okay, and my other four is really good, but Jeff Myers is starting and, and should have been starting. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a conflict that you know. We, we say our last name is Impelmeyer, so it wasn't a, a family <laughs> conflict. He was that good. Well, now Kenny Easley joins the team. Mm. He's pretty good. <laughs> he little, he's a little bit different level. He like, you know, he's coming off the bench and getting 25 in 10 minutes. Oof. And, you know, he was recruited in the ACC for basketball. Okay. North Carolina, Virginia. I mean, so he's a little better than Jeff. And uh, so I, but we're winning. Yeah. So I've kind of got a conundrum. And I'm going into Monday's practice, and I so I'm going to call them both over individually and say, hey, guys, look, I'm thinking about making a change in the lineup, and I'm going to watch practice this week and decide, but I want to let you both know in advance. Well, before I can have that conversation, sports stories of Los Angeles, you kids out there listen to this story. <laughs> Jeff Myers comes over to me and says, Coach Imp, he goes, I know you're like an uncle to me. I know we're family, and you're probably not keeping me in the lineup because you don't want to hurt my family's feelings. But, Coach, Kenny's a lot better than me, and you need to start him. I said, okay, Jeff, thanks. So he walks away. Now, here comes Easley. Now, I'm sure Easley is going to ask me what it takes to start, and I mean, Mm because it's not even – He's yeah. been on the front page. They had a front page LA Times article about him playing JV basketball. So, I mean, it's like, you know, 
So Kenny. Did they consider putting him on varsity? Uh, we were pretty good. He could have played varsity, <laughs> but we didn't okay. need him. Yet. Yeah. Uh, but Kenny comes over and he says, Coach Imp, he goes, I know you feel like you probably should start me based on what I've been doing. He goes, but I think that would hurt the team. Wow. So I want you to keep starting Jeff and just bring me off the bench. I think it gives us better chemistry if that's okay with you. <laughs> that's a guy. So That's the kind of guy you need on your team. So you asked me what happened next. You already know. I blew the whistle. <laughs> Everybody in. I said, I'm going to tell you guys the greatest story about teammates you're ever going to hear in your whole life. <laughs> Here's what happened. And let me tell you what just happened. That culture was was woven throughout the um, program. You know, that's the way Coach was, right? Coach always for the team, and yeah. and and I and I and that rubs off on others. Well, here's a great culture story. So, at UCLA, there was a a freshman court, and there was a blue curtain that came yeah, down, yeah. And there was a varsity court, and the locker room was over by the freshman court. And that that was the same court that Al Skates, the legendary volleyball coach, would use. But, and, and and volleyball players would often talk about. I never story. got around behind that. Oh, yeah, curtain, I was stuck behind the curtain. curtain. Yeah. Okay. So, when you would go to practice, you would come on across the freshman court, and then you'd come across the curtain to get on the varsity court. Uh -huh. There's a big clock on the wall, huge. The practice started at 3 o'clock, and if you were late for practice, your job was to go sit in the bleachers, and then coach would talk to you, mm -hmm. and you'd tell him your story, and then he would decide what he was going to do. <laughs> okay. That was the rule. Yeah. And so there was a, the clock would tick, and that blue curtain was there, <laughs> right? Yeah. When the time was I was at UCLA, six years coaching, I never had a guy come over after three o'clock. Uh huh. I mean, every right. time it was like you know five to three, whatever. Guys were on the court. Yeah, because that had just been passed down from twenty-five years. No doubt. Of John Wooden, it was the curtain. Fifteen minutes early is on time. So Larry Farmer uh, quit, and I got a job at another school. Uh, and the, the coach asked me, he wanted to ask me a lot of UCLA questions, obviously. And he said to me, he goes, Coach Jeff, he goes, so what did you do at UCLA if your uh, star player is late the day before the game? Yep. And I said, well, Coach, I, I don't know. And he says, what do you mean you don't know? I said, well, I was there for six years, and we never had anybody late for practice. Wow. That's something else, isn't it? Yeah, that's just culture. The, um, I have to tell you a bad innovation story. Okay. Well, uh, it's pretty oh, funny. Hold on. No. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> okay. This is the no innovation story. <laughs> yes. So you're playing at UCLA, Denny, uh -huh. and you go to pregame meal, and the trainer is Ducky Drake. Oh, sure. Now, Ducky Drake uh -huh. had been the track coach at UCLA, and then he was John Wooden's uh, best friend. And yeah. Ducky was as much part of us uh, doing, the, the, doing what the, they did. The, the track facility, it's Ducky, it's Drake Field. Tr Drake Stadium, yeah. yeah and he Drake coached for Johnson and C.K. Chang, the gold medal in the Olympics, et cetera. But mm -hmm. he was John Wooden's trainer okay. for all those years. They were roommates. Oh, athletic directors, don't get any ideas. They roomed together on the road. <laughs> yes, of course. They didn't even need separate rooms. That, yeah, like that's, anyway, how, that's how we save money. D Ducky, <laughs> Ducky was very much the glue uh -huh. of, of the team. I mean, he was just. Ducky was Ducky. But pregame meal, you would have eaten the same thing that had been eaten at pregame meal for 15 years, which I might not get it quite what right. What is it? But 
I know it was there would be a steak and some green beans. Some of the old guys are gonna get mad at me because I'm I'm gonna there might have uh, I think a fruit cocktail. I think guys, I'm sorry, I forgot, but I'm <laughs> sure about the three pieces of Melba toast and the one slice of butter and the small amount of honey. Oh, okay. But it was wow. That's what we Getting had. Crazy with that honey there. This is what we had for pregame meal, and I, I know, I know. <laughs> that was it, though. It was looking like, really, but that just what we so. And it makes you why, relax because you know it, what's it, coming. Today it would make no sense at all, but of course, us stalwarts would say, "Hey, good enough for those guys. We got ten of these <laughs> eating that. <laughs> yeah, good enough for those guys." So I always thought. That that was Ducky Drake's doing, mm. right? Yeah, which would go back far enough. Peggy, until oh, I come read on. <laughs> practical oh, my basketball goodness. coach, and there's a section of practical <laughs> basketball about the pregame meal. <laughs> uh, Guess coach. what? Melba toast. We were eating Piggy Lambert's pregame meal. One pat of butter, a <laughs> little bit of honey. I oh, guess we would see an ovation bus on that one. No, he, 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 he you know, but on Funny some story. level, though, it relaxed everybody, right? Because you knew what you were going to eat. Yeah, true. And that was common. So, yeah. you know, and it worked for the other group. That's pretty funny. So uh, That is hilarious, actually. Um, what happened? Um, how come you didn't work on Larry Brown's staff? Now, did, wasn't Larry Brown after uh Let me tell you about Coach Larry Farmer? Brown. Now, Larry Brown. Let me tell you about Larry but, Brown. But not everybody knows about him. That guy is an unbelievable call. A Philadelphia guy, right? Hall of Fame, 10 times Hall over. Of... Most of your NBA coaches were clones of Larry Brown. Larry Brown. How did you get to become Alvin Gentry? How did you get to become the head coach of the New Orleans? So, and Alvin Gentry is so, so Larry Brown took him to the New Orleans. Took, took, took UCLA to the final. Let and, me tell you about Alvin Gentry. This will give you an idea about the power of Larry Brown. Yeah. Alvin Gentry played at Appalachian State. He's an assistant coach at Colorado. Bill Blair is the head coach. They're going to get fired. He's going to be out of coaching. Larry Brown gets a job at Kansas. Bill Blair is best friends with Larry Brown. He says, hire Alvin Gentry, who's one of the greatest guys in the history of the world. Yeah, he is. Unbelievable. Stand up he guy. gets with Larry Brown. Boom. Popovich, Larry Brown. Just, just yeah. go down the list. Larry Brown is the tree. There's, there's no doubt about it. For NBA coaches. And, and everywhere he went, he, I mean – they, they not only would one, but he could turn yeah. a team on on a yeah. dime. Like, he could just turn them over. Yeah. So, so let me talk to you about Larry Brown. So, well, how did he get this job? Did I he play I told, at UCLA? I told, I told you that Gene Barto, I've never been a nicer person than Gene Barto. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. You would be hard-pressed <laughs> to meet a more likable person than Larry Brown. Okay. Uh, you cannot believe. The natural likability and charisma okay. that this guy has. Mm -hmm. So my story is this about Larry Brown. Mm -hmm. I worked for Gene Bartow one year, Gary Cunningham two years. Larry Brown's the new head coach. Mm -hmm. Okay? 1980. So, whenever the year was. Who about, knows? Okay. But I don't mean it that way, but I don't yeah. remember. But anyway, he's a new head coach. So he's got his assistant coaches lined up. But – he doesn't have a part-time assistant coach, the one that pays $135 a month. <laughs> and so I, have, dinners, I, I have two options. <laughs> yeah. I can go to Pepperdine uh -huh. with Jim Herrick and become a full-time assistant coach for $25,000 a year. Okay. Or I can try to stay at UCLA with Larry Brown, 
for 135 bucks a month. <laughs> okay? I'm doing the math. But, but you got to understand <laughs> how much. That's why we love Nick Cronin, because he wanted the job. Yeah. We you wanted to be. I didn't care. I wanted to be, wanted to be at UCLA. It's... So I met with Larry Brown over the weekend. Okay. And I begged the guy to keep me for 135 bucks a month. <laughs> right? Yeah. Imp, I love you, but I just don't have a spot for you. Oh, boy. All right. But let me tell you how likable this guy is. Mm-hmm. So now after he tells me he doesn't have a spot for me, he goes, but I want you to do me a favor. <laughs> I'm bringing in a guy next week that I want to hire. And, you know, you really love UCLA, and I think you could sell him on the idea. Nice. Now that we're showing I'm you taking the, the job. There's the door, but before you go. I want you to recruit the guy who I'm recruiting <laughs> to take, take job. the job oh, that you wanted. Oh, man. And I said enthusiastically, Coach, it would be my honor to do oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Who? Who was it? I don't remember. But I did it, and he hired the guy. So that's Larry Brown. Oh, I love it. I love it. So you went – now, Coach Herrick, he, he not far from where we sit now, he, co- he was a coach at Morningside High School. Oh, yeah. What a great teacher. Right? Great teacher, yeah. So, so, so Great teacher, yeah. Coach Herrick uh, had followed Coach Wooden all the way through. And Coach Herrick graded right, right everything. He's a teacher. Mm-hmm. So he's a curriculum guy. He got everything written down. And da, 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 boom, 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 boom. And then uh, he went to uh, – uh, became the head coach of Pepperdine. Mm. And then the two assistant coaches that first year were myself and a guy who's a great guy, one of the great coaches of all time, uh, the winningest coach in the history of Pepperdine, uh, Tom Asbury. Oh, Asbury, yeah. yeah okay. Tom Asbury uh-huh. won the league, I think, what, seven years in a row? Uh-huh. I think uh-huh. they didn't lose a road game, and yeah. they were doing what Gonzaga does now in that in that league. But uh, and Asbury, hmm. the confluence of knowledge, uh, Asbury had been – Jim Brandenburg's assistant at Wyoming. Okay. Jim Brandenburg had been Judd Heathcote's assistant uh, at Michigan State. At Michigan State, yeah. Judd Heathcote had been the Magic assistant coach. coach to John Wooden's best friend, Marv Harshman, at Washington wow. State. Oh. And Asbury brought a tremendous knowledge to the table uh, one of the things that he bought was a real knowledge of, I mean, everything, but to te- uh, to teach the matchup zone. Like, yeah. I couldn't teach a matchup zone if my life depended on it. I don't know it. You can't teach me you don't know. Mm-hmm. But he knew this inside and out because he had learned it under Brandenburg and, you know. Yep. So, Herrick was able at Pepperdine then to bring in the great wooden man-to-man defense and then competently bring in a real defensive alternative, which sure. was the matchup zone, which uh, – which Tom brought in. Can I ask you something? Just a coaching question before I ask you another one. I, I mean, I just kind of did this instinctively. But I never really saw a coach right on it. Going full court, you're in a 2-2-1 zone press. Yep. And then when did you then transition into the man-to-man? Was it after the ball crossed half court? And, and then theoretically you're supposed to be on the person you're assigned to, but do you just pick up where you've ended up on your rotation? Before you you switch, because I don't remember Wooden's team switching a whole lot once they now, started playing I'm not, defense. I, I can't speak for Coach Wooden because I wouldn't have practiced with him. So I, all I can do is give you my best Larry Farmer, Gary Cunningham. Yep, which is version. a direct line. I mean, anyway, so in the front of the press, we have two guys. Yeah. 
one man and a two man. If the ball gets behind. I, I, I look over at my daughter right now. She remembers all this because I got to coach her in high school. If the so. ball gets behind the one and two guy, the press is broken. Uh, we get back. First guy back takes a basket. Next guy back is a little inside, of, a little above the free throw line, takes the ball. Everybody else is sprinting back, branching out, guarding who needs to get guarded. So we're not – if we can get to our guy. Great. If not – Okay. We're not. Fair enough. Uh, and certainly if the ball crossed half court. Uh, but, you know, Coach Wooden in the press, you know, what he did with that, uh, the, the, the challenge is this. Coach Wooden had this framework, but he coached all of his teams differently. Yeah, yeah. So, like he treated people. Like Walt Hazard learned one version of John Wooden. Mm-hmm. Larry Farmer learned a different version. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, different systems. Uh, so with Walt Hazard, his offense, Coach Wooden's high post offense was almost a wide open, put it on the ground, passing game, because he had Hazard, Goodrich. I mean, it, they were running cuts. They were cutting, not screening. Yeah. And so that kind of became Hazard version of the offense. Larry Farmer played in the Wicks-Row era where we set a good screen. We came off, open shot, tossed it into the big guy, typical inside out. So that was kind of the Gary Cunningham, you know, whatever. So you – yeah. So each team a little. It's different. hard to say what Coach Wooden did. Yeah, and 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 come to think because of it, he was that, always... that, that's something I took from Coach was that was one of the things he said. Like I think it's entirely fair that I don't treat any two people the same way. Everybody needs to be met at a particular place. Yeah. And 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 I would imagine that it also is on a team. Yep. That each team is probably you know coached a little different according to their strengths. And what they needed to, you know, improve on. I think that's probably the most difficult when you're working with a business. That's probably the most difficult wooden concept to teach. Uh, Because kind of typically, if we think about normal teams and team environments or work environments, everybody says, well, just treat everybody the same. I mean, that's what... That's almost what's in, in that, that, that's almost state law. That, right? yeah. And, you know, Coach Wooden realized at one point in time that he couldn't treat everybody the same. He was going to treat everybody with the respect that they earned and deserved. Mm-hmm. And, but he was going to be fair mm-hmm. with everybody. And so if you were going to say a direct business application, you know, Coach Wooden used to tell the team, I, I, I love you all the same. But I don't like you all the same. <laughs> and right. there's some of you I'd never want to date my daughter <laughs> in your entire lifetime. But you'll probably start and play a lot. And there's others that I would love you to marry my daughter, but you might not play. So that's not going to get into the yeah to get into the mix. But I but I I used to say I'm going to treat you all the same, but I'm not going to treat you all the same. Now, yeah, if you study all the coaches, the famous coaches, they all had that. Same, Vince Lombardi, very underrated in that regard. Uh, there was the famous misquoted saying where the uh, one of the Leroy, whatever his name was, said he treated us all the same. He treated us like dogs. Yeah, that was not the case. Lombardi was a master psychologist, and the way he would talk to Fuzzy Thurston would was be completely different than the way he would talk to to uh 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 to to Jim Taylor sure. and he 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 knew 
how to talk to that one guy. Coach has said that many times that the way he coached Hazard and Goodrich was entirely was, different. Was, was completely different. And the way I would explain it to employees is that if you've been working with the company for 10 years and you have a perfect time and attendance record and you tell me that you need six months off to go back to Kansas to help your ailing mother, mm-hmm. my response might be different than if you've been working here for six months and you've been late 10 times and you want to go back to Kansas. Yeah, no doubt. We hope you enjoyed the first episode of the Wooden Trilogy. Next week will be part two with Coach Jim. And stay tuned to the end of this podcast for a song from Nell and John Wooden's favorite, the Mills Brothers. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is supported by the AAU. Find a local event and join at aausports.org. And remember, you can catch your favorite amateur sports live stream, replays, and highlights at ballertv.com. Sports Stories, along with East Bay, supports the Heroes Movement, a nonprofit that bridges the gap from mental or physical therapy to getting strong again through strength and conditioning workouts. This free service is available for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Visit heroesmovementusa.org for more information. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. and is available on Apple Podcasts and YouTube or wherever you listen and watch. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. It really helps spread the word. You can find all our social media links, archives, and other info on our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Original music for Sports Stories is courtesy of Lennon Music Productions. Special thanks to the John R. Wooden Course and Wooden's Wisdom. Sports Story staff includes Marley Rice, Teresa Dolan, Bob McCall, Michael Lennon, Sienna Lennon, Brad Lawson, Christine Jimbo, and Jake Downey. Across the alley from the Alamo lived a pinto pony and a Navajo who sang a sort of Indian Idaho to the people passing by. The Pinto spent his time a-swishing pies And the Navajo watched the lazy skies And very rarely did they ever rest their eyes On the people passing by One day they went a-walking Along the railroad track They were swishing, not a-looking They never came back across the alley from the Alamo When the summer sun decides to settle low A fly sings an Indian hearty-ho To the people passing by Across the alley from the Alamo Lived a pinto, a pony, and a Navajo Who used to bake frioles in cornmeal dough For the people passing by They thought that they would make some easy bucks By washing their frioles in does and luxe A pair of very conscientious clucks To the people passing by Then they took this cheap vacation The shoes were polished bright No, they never heard the whistle 
they're clear out of sight. Oh, across the alley from the Alamo, when the starlight beams its tender glow, the beans go to sleep and then there ain't no dough for the people passing by. One day they went a walking along the railroad track. They were swishing out of looking. Toot, toot. They never came back across the alley from the Alamo When the summer sun decides to settle low A fly sings an indeed hi-de-ho To the people passing by Across the alley from the Alamo Kick it out, book! <laughs>